Praise the Lord. Praise God. Father, we just thank you. And we praise you. We give you glory. And we thank you, Lord, that we could be in the house of God. And Lord, while we're waiting, uh, we pray for uh, Freddie taking uh, Jaden back to Buffalo. He's driving right into a snowstorm. And uh, we pray for others, Lord. Don't worry about it. My parents left this morning for Florida. We pray for Jim's parents leaving for Florida. Pray for Kimmy. She's ill. And, of course, there's a number of families that are out this morning. But, Father, we thank you. Amen. We just pray that everyone that's on the roads will be safe. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a very important message for us today. The Lord's given me. But when the fullness of time was come, I want you to listen closely. I'm going to do some teaching this morning. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we're binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obedience to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the stars made obedience to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? What's happening here? Joseph had a son in his old age, and he favored him. He gave him a special coat. And because of jealousy and envy, his brothers hated him. But God gave him a dream. And the dream did come true because Joseph became the second most powerful person in the world under Pharaoh. And his brothers and his father eventually did bow down to him. And Joseph took care of them, though, in the end. But what I want to talk to you about is the evil devices that come against us as Christians to stop the dream that God has put in your heart, to stop the progress that God wants you to have. It says in Genesis 37 and 11, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 18, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. How many knows that when you embark on a new season in life, when you're trying to get healthy again, when you're trying to get spiritual, when you're trying to do what God is asking you to do, how many knows that the enemy wants to devise a plan against you so that you don't succeed? The Bible says in Genesis, in John chapter 10, the thief cometh but not for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life 
and that you might have life more abundantly. The enemy wants to steal from us, no matter what you're doing. As long as you're going forward, the enemy wants to throw a roadblock right in front of you. And a lot of people don't see that, or a lot of people don't preach that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's what I love about God. This word devices, God speaks to our mind. And God gives us thoughts, and he lets us know up the road of what the enemy is doing. If we pay attention to what God is saying, God will give us the revelation. God will give us the wisdom. And God will give us the knowledge of what's going on. He wants to give us understanding. I looked up this verse in the ESV version, and it says this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. God does not want us to be outwitted by the enemy. He wants us to be the victor. Listen, we're the head and not the tail. I said we're the head and not the tail. Praise God. So I want to talk to you about two concepts this morning. I want to talk to you about potential, and I want to talk to you about possibility. And these are important concepts. Because a lot of people have potential, but they never allowed God to make it possible in their life. And I want to say this, and this is a verse that is at the end of my sermon. But I want to read it right now to give some clarity to those of us that are a little older. And I love this verse. In Psalm 92, 14, and I'll get back to it later because it's the end of my sermon. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. New King's, new uh, King James Version. I want to read that again. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and, re- and flourishing. What is God saying? Listen, it's not over. I said it's not over. We're still in the game. We're still going forward. We're still on the playing field. And as long as God is with us and as we have breath in our life, God says, I'll cause you to flourish. When? Even in your old age. Some people, you know, when we get older, we think it's over. You know, our days are numbered, whatever. Listen, we have to have new vision. We have to have a new dream. We have to have a new song that God wants to place into our lips. The Bible, the, the, the word potential means something that is possible. It's latent. It means it's kind of like a pimple under your skin that hasn't popped through yet. It's something that's probable. It's something that's likely. It's something that's impending. It's something that's conceivable. It's something that is imaginable. Potential is something that is thinkable. Okay? Having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. Okay? The word potential in a further definition is this. Existing in possibility, but not in actuality. And, and the best uh, example I can give to you is putting a seed in the soil. Okay? There is a potential for that seed. And if you put that seed in the correct soil and give it enough moisture and sunshine, the possibility of that seed turning into a plant and giving fruit changes exponentially. Are you understanding what God is saying here this morning? A lot of people die with potential. A lot of people on their tombstone, it's going to be written, herein lies potential. But I want to show you that potential, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you are. Listen, my wife's doing physical therapy right now. The potential can turn into possibility, okay, because her knee can be rehabilitated through therapy, okay? The potential is there. 
She has to do something with the help of God to make that a possibility. Understand what I'm saying? We've got to allow God to plant the seed in the ground and cause it to grow. It's latent. It's under the soil. But when that thing starts to pop through, you say to yourself, what a miracle. Listen, don't you see the miracle of a bulb in the, in the dirt right now? Snow is going to cover those bulbs, those beautiful tulips. And come spring, somehow God awakens that bulb to become a yellow tulip or red tulip or whatever. And you look outside your house in your flower garden and you say, how could that be? That thing has been dead for months in the snow, salt, snow blowing on top of it. But yet in the spring, praise God, the possibility of that tulip begins to appear and it becomes a reality. Are you hearing what the pastor is saying this morning? Potential is hidden. Potential is not visible at the moment or apparent, okay? Potential applies to that which does not yet exist, okay? But is bound to exist if the process of coming into being is not arrested. What am I saying? A lot of people allow their dream and their vision to be arrested. And what does the word arrested mean? Halted, stopped, blocked, prevented, obstructed, impeded, or hindered. Hey, you've seen soldiers come back from war that have lost both legs. You know, they could just say to themselves, life's over. I'm 23 years old. I have no legs. What's there to live for? But somehow, through prosthetics, somehow, through artificial limbs, somehow through therapy, those guys are more active than people who have two good legs. Come on, my friend. The possibility is there. The potential was there, but the possibility is when they got up, praise God, out of that wheelchair. When they got up and they started doing therapy. When they got up and they were fitted for prosthetic legs. And they said, life is not over. I can be productive. And that's what God is trying to say to the church. We're not done, praise God. We're still alive and we still have the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's the difference between potential and possibility? Possibility are your options. Are your options. It means possibility means it implies likelihood. It means taking a risk. It means taking a chance. It's the probability that something can happen. Praise the Lord. Possibility is that which is possible. To be able and capable of being realized. It's something that you can attain. We don't have to stay down. Possibility implies that a thing may exist or occur given the proper conditions, like the seed in the soil. The possibility of that becoming a fruitful plant that's going to give off fruit or flowers, praise God, is greatly expanded when you allow moisture and sunshine and fertilizer to take care of that seed. What's God saying to us? Possibility does not ever happen without pain and labor. Possibility does not happen without pain or labor. The Bible says in the book of Micah, chapter 4, verse 10, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. The Bible says in John 16, 21, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. 
Galatians chapter 4 verse 19 says this, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Do you know what that means? A lot of people doesn't, don't understand what it means to be a pastor or a minister or, or, or a clergyman. When you truly care about people and God's anointing is on you. When Paul wrote that to the church at Galatia, he was saying, I feel the pains of childbirth as I try to prepare you for the coming of the Lord. And he says, sometimes it's intolerable anguish. Sometimes it's consuming grief. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's sorrow. And a lot of people don't see that behind the scenes. They don't see your tears. They don't see your cry. They don't see you crying out to God for people that you love that maybe have gone astray for a season. And that's what Paul was saying. He says, I travail in birth. It's like I'm giving birth to a child. And God wants to give birth, praise God, to children of God. God wants to give birth through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the cross. He wants to give birth to disciples. The Bible uh, it, it tells us that it's through pain and process. And a lot of people shy away from the pain and the process because they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be inconvenienced. Come on now. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They want everything right. We're living in a generation where it's expected. Entitlement. You owe me. You should give to me. No, we don't. Do what everyone else has done before you, praise God, in the generations that has proceeded. Go to work. Get a job. Be respectful. Do the right thing. Be accountable. Be responsible. This is what God is requiring of us as Christians We must give birth, praise God, to the gift, the dream that God has placed in our heart. And I call this the destiny of God for your life. Some people, God waits a long time. God waits many, many years, and I'll explain this in a moment. The original verse, when the fullness of time was come, they had to wait for Jesus to come to be born of a virgin for for a very, very long time. Because it was God's timing. And what happens with people is they're not happy with God's timing. And we become God's little helpers. And we think we're going to rush God. Listen, God does not wear a wristwatch. God does not have an alarm clock to wake him up because he's always awake. God is eternal. His time is eternal. But God puts a dream in our soul, okay? And the destiny within you, okay, can be realized Potential can turn into possibility if we allow God to stir up that dream in our life. It's never too late. It's never too late. Some people say, well, I I have failed, or I never went to school, or I never accomplished this, or or I never did that. I believe in my heart, like God had to wait for Moses 80 years. Like God had to wait for Noah to build a boat for 120 years. Come on, my friend. Where the New Testament, John the Baptist, came after 400 years of darkness between the last book of the Bible, Malachi, and the first New Testament, praise God, of Matthew. 400 years they had to wait until this crazy man came out of the hills and started to preach the word of God. It's a time process. And the problem with people is they don't understand God's timing. And they try to rush it. They try to push it. They try to pursue it on their own. Listen, if God's going to give you a dream, he wants that dream to come to pass on his time. And don't ever think God's done with you. Don't ever think that, oh, God's finished with you. Don't, because listen to this, what God gave me. He places you in his future 
while he directs your present. I said he places you in his future while he directs your present. You know what? God, you see, you see your life as a little piece of where you are today. We see our life today in upstate New York. Well, it's snowing out. Oh, the roads are a little testy. God sees your life from the beginning when you were conceived in your mother's womb. He was there until the end, praise God, when they either put us in the ground or we fly up to heaven in the rapture. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God sees the whole picture and sometimes it's like the engine light in your car. We pay attention to that engine light and we can't get away from the engine light, praise God, because it's annoying us. You got to look beyond the engine light, my friend. You got to look beyond the engine light, my friend. We must go, listen to this now, what God gave me. We must go from the stage of toleration. What we allow, what we accept, what we endure, what we stomach. Okay, sada, sada, that's just the way it is. This is who I am. No, wait a minute, you're saying no change. You're tolerating where you are. If I banged your toe with a hammer and you kept standing there, and let me bang your toe with a hammer, you're tolerating it. You're accepting it. You're saying it's okay. No, it's not okay. Praise God. God doesn't want your, uh, your toe to be banged with a hammer. So we must go from the stage of toleration to the place of celebration. And what's the place of celebration? Rejoicing. Enjoying. We don't enjoy life anymore. We don't enjoy life anymore. You know why? Sometimes it's time to turn off the news. I'm telling you. You just can't hear it sometimes. Because it's always an attack. It's always this. It's always that. Sometimes we just need to put on some good Christian music. Watch a nice Hallmark full, uh, movie. Make some popcorn. Sit back in your easy chair and praise God. And just have a nice evening. We've lost that in America. Look how look at everybody rushing. Busy, busy, busy. Look at people shooting in the Destiny Mall, stabbing. There's another stabbing this morning. Yeah. Well, people, what are we going to fight for the the doll? <laughs> We're going to fight for the toy because they only advertise three, and, and your kid wants the toy, and we want it now for Christmas. So I'm going to beat you up to get the toy, or I'm going to just place myself in front of that store a day before and and just tent out so I can get the toy. Is it that important? No. That's not enjoying life. That's a stressful moment in our lives. And it's killing America. It's killing us because we've become so distracted from the possibilities of what God wants to do in our lives. And we're forgetting people. We saw a movie last night. This lady had a beautiful home. And don't get me wrong. It was a gorgeous home. She was very uh, uh, successful in technology and so on. And she decided to have Christmas at her home. And boy, did that turn out to be a disaster. Boy, they came in like a bunch of wild bulls. They brought the dog. They brought their food. They brought this. They brought that. And before you know it, her house looked totally different because she was a perfectionist. And it wasn't right for them to come into her house and do that to their home, her home. But here's the lesson that she learned. She learned this lesson. It's about people. It's about loving people. We, we need to have a nice home. We need to teach children to uh, manage their steps in your home and not destroy property and so on. But she took it to such an extreme, being a perfectionist, that her whole family 
left until she started to realize, what am I doing? This is my first Christmas in my, in my home with all of my family here, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sisters, and so on. And she finally realized at the end of the film, it's more important to love people than to have a perfect home. It's more important to love people than to have a perfect environment. Are you hearing what God is saying to us this morning? We gotta get back to people. I remember years ago, there used to be a commercial about insurance. And the owner of the company came on television in the commercial. And he said, you know, we're losing customers. And he said, you know why we're losing customers? I'm going to tell you why. And this is what he told his people. He said, years ago, when our insurance agents went out, they went to people's homes and sat in their kitchen and had a cup of coffee with them, and it was one-on-one. It wasn't this big conglomeration. It wasn't all this. And he said, we've got to get back to business. We've got to get back to basics. We've got to get back to what caused our company to become successful. I remember a, a grocery store in Virginia that was not doing very well. And they decided to come up with a slogan. And the slogan was very simple. We care. And they put that slogan all across their grocery store. And you know what? People started saying, you care? How do you care? Reducing prices, having sales, good customer relations, kind of like Wegmans does. You know? Have you ever gone into Wegmans and had someone really be disrespectful to you? Have you ever gone and asked people in Wegmans, uh, where, is, where can I find this product? They'll take you to the product. Okay? Remember when Walmart first came into uh, Auburn? They brought people from the south to open the store. I remember this many years ago. And you know what? When you needed something, those people were polite. They came down the aisles and they showed you. Now, huh, praise God, you can see six people standing there and everybody's got a, like, a lollipop in their hand and no one's saying to you, hey, how can I help you? Come on. I hear what's, what I'm saying here this morning. Possibilities, praise God. Listen, God sees your future individually, all right? But listen to this quote that God gave me. And too many people tolerate their state of life and never see what God has for them. God is always celebrating. He wants to celebrate our life. We have to see God as a parent. We have to see God as our heavenly father. And the Bible says the party has already begun in heaven. The party has already begun. We don't see it totally, but we experience it when we worship God. And there's a heaven and earth link, praise God. But God wrote in the book of Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know what? The party begins in your heart when you've been with Jesus. The party begins, praise God, and there is a connection with heaven when you allow God to work in your life, praise God, and allow God to have that party of rejoicing in your life. When we come here and we sing, when we come here and we praise, when we come here and we we pray for one another, when we come here to hear the word of God, we are now connected with heaven, praise God. We can't see it all, but we can experience it a little bit here because the Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. Now let's talk about how God feels about us for a few moments. It says this in Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you 
will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. God's not done. That's right. He's not finished. Some people say, well, you know, I, I have failed. Who hasn't? Come on, come on. I've had setbacks. Who hasn't? I have fallen down. Who hasn't? The Bible says even a righteous man will fall down seven times. But here's the situation. The possibility of getting up is there. Hallelujah. You can be knocked down to the ground, but the possibility always exists because God is in control of our lives and God is in our hearts and God says, get up off the floor. I will help you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the churches have forgotten. They have forgotten the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says this. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. How many years was it prophesied? 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah announced that Jesus would be born of a virgin. 700 years before. Amen. God's not in a hurry. I said God is not in a hurry. God wants us to overcome every fear in our life that's going to derail us from the dream and the purpose and the will of God for our lives. You know... Martin Luther King said one time, he says, if you're a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper that you can ever be in the world. If you're a mom, be the best mom you could be. If you're a dad, be the best dad you could be. If you're a grandpa, be the best grandpa you could be. If you're a worker, be the best worker you could be. Are you hearing what God's saying? We're a lighthouse. When you walk out of your house, believe it or not, people are looking towards you. Especially if they know you're a Christian and you love God and you attend the house of the Lord. They're going to ask you. But you know what? The process takes time for the dream to be fulfilled. And sometimes we get exhausted in the process and we want to give up. We get tired. We say, what's the point? And we all do that. Pastors do that. Pastors' wives do that. Church members do that. Young people do that. But that's why it's so important to have a church community. That when one of us starts to wane and go down, that we can pick the brother up and say, or the sister up and say, don't give up. When you feel people around you, when you feel people surrounding you, when you know people are praying for you, it instills something in you. Maybe the thing hasn't changed in your life. Maybe it's still dark and a cloud is over your life. But knowing that someone's put their arm around you, knowing that someone loves you, knowing that someone cares about you, knowing that someone's praying for you, something happens. Praise God. You can be in the boxing ring and you go back to the corner and you're bleeding and you're bloody and you you, you feel like your legs are going to give out. But there's somebody in that corner that says you're the champ. Circle left, sting like a bee, and float like a butterfly. And all of a sudden, you get inspired. All of a sudden, you get determined. All of a sudden, you say to yourself, this guy believes in me, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to fight, and I'm going to knock out my opponent. And that's exactly what the church needs to do. We've got to knock out the opponent that's trying to stop the work of God. Can you say amen? Amen. It took a while for Jesus to come. Jewish people had to wait 80 years. Moses was 40 years on the backside of the desert before God called him to rescue the Jewish people. Noah took 120 years to build a boat. You don't think he got frustrated at times? Noah was human. You know, I, I know the Bible says Noah was a righteous man. And we're righteous men and women here, but sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we lose our patience. Sometimes we get anxious. 
I'm pretty sure that when he was building that boat that he, a couple of times he must have missed with that mallet and hit his thumb and said, oh man, is this worth it? Is this worth it? You know? I'm sure his sons say, hey dad, you know, it's a hot day. Can we go down to the lake and swim? You're really pushing us, you know? Because he didn't know how long it was going to be before that boat was completed, before those rains came. You know, we kind of deify people. I'm pretty sure Moses on the back side of the desert had a lot of issues. He killed an Egyptian man. And now he, you know, he could have been Pharaoh. When, 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 when Pharaoh died, he could have become the, the, the king of the world. But he saw an injustice. He saw an Egyptian beating up a Jew. And fortunately, accidentally, he killed the Egyptian. But can you imagine Moses, destined for royalty, put on hold, put on the shelf, and for 40 years, he's tending sheep in the wilderness until he sees a burning bush appear. And God says, Moses, you're not done. And where did God send Moses back? To the very same place where he failed. Come on, my friend. He sent Moses back to the very same place he failed. And when God announced, he said, guess where you're going, Moses? You're going back to Egypt, but God, don't but God me, praise God. I'm sending you back, but I'm sending you back in the power and in the anointing and in the unction. And I'm sending you back with my blessing. And I put a dream in your heart, praise God, because it's God's dream that the Jewish people have been waiting 400 years, praise God, to be delivered, praise God. And you're the deliverer. Amen. So you think you're over? You think you're done? We go around saying how old we are. Shame on us sometimes. We go around saying, man, I'm old. We're just setting ourselves up for the enemy. I'm decrepit. We go around saying, I feel like I'm dying. You still here? You still breathing? Praise the Lord. And sometimes even when people die, praise God, they come back to life because somebody laid hands on them and said, get up! Right. Your job's not done. How dare you leave me? <laughs> Come on. Praise the Lord. I am God's workmanship. The Bible says in Psalm 139, 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, God. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.10, it's 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God is on our side. God has not given up on us. God is trying to produce a remnant people. He's trying to produce a church that will praise him in the last day, that will believe him. But I believe what's happened in the church world is the spirit of unbelief has settled in and it's caused people to tolerate their situation. They're satisfied. They no longer praise. You know, the Methodist church used to be a Pentecostal church. The Methodist church used to have an amen corner. The revival fires were in the Methodist church. All these nominal churches, the power of God was there at one time. But what happened? People got tired of fighting. People got tired of worshiping. People got tired. People died off and, and, and new people were never discipled into how to worship God. And God is saying to this, how do you see yourself this morning? This is an important question. What is your self-conception and opinion of yourself? I want you to do an inventory to yourself right now. Does that opinion agree with God's opinion about you? God says you're his son. God says you're his daughter. God says you are his workmanship. God says I created you. How do you look at yourself? Decrepit, 
done, undone? How do you look at yourself? What do you see? How do you see yourself? You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. How do you think about yourself? I'm depressed. I'm down. I'm never going to make it. I, I was born under a bad sign. I never have any luck. I never get to the end line. What are we confessing? We're confessing for demons to come toward us, to depress us, oppress us, suppress us, to knock us out. We're inviting the enemy to curse us instead of inviting the Spirit of God to bless us. People dwell on failure. Listen, if you're a human, you're going to fail at times. The best baseball hitter bats 300. You know what that means? Seven out of ten times he did not get a base hit. Is he a failure? He's a 300 hitter. Nobody has a winless season where they win 25 games and never lose one. doesn't happen. Why? Because sometimes defeat happens. But God uses defeat to cause us to become overcomers. He uses defeat to cause us to push forward and say, I am not giving up. The church needs the spirit of perseverance. We need the spirit of perseverance. You know, I, when I used to work out with my son years ago, he was the worst person to work out with. Amen. <laughs> be down in that weight room. I don't know if he remembers in the YMCA. One more. His famous one more. Come on, Dave, one more. I'm dying here. Push it, push it. One more. One more. And it's like, you got to be kidding. But you know what? He got the most out of me at that moment because he believed that I could do it. And even he, he would put one finger sometimes on the bar and just, he, he wasn't even doing much. Okay, he, he's just like that. Just one little finger. Come on, one more. And you know what? You did it because you pushed yourself. That's right. And that's what life is about. We're all going to get knocked down, my friends. Brothers and sisters, we're all going to get knocked down. We're all going to get setbacks. Socially, financially, physically, spiritually. Sometimes it's a dry season. Sometimes you can read the word of God. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes you're praying. You can't get your prayer above the ceiling. Sometimes you're in the wilderness. It's winter time. Spiritually. But it's not over. Because the spiritual tulips will bloom if you just wait upon God. The potential that's in here becomes a possibility with God. God will give us a new song. God will give us a new word. God will give us a new revelation. God will give us a scripture to hold on to. Praise the Lord. Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But look at this. This is how God wants to see us. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Listen to him. This is what God says about you. And he, you, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. How many people confess that? How many people say, my leaf is not going to wither? How many people say, I'm a palm tree and my roots, roots go deep in the ground looking for the water of God, hallelujah. How many people say that? How many people say that we will be successful? Joshua said it. God said to Joshua, meditate on the word of God and you will be successful. Right, but what do we go around? We go around complaining. 
We go around complaining about what we don't have. Where negative is right. We become critical. We murmur. That's exactly what defeated the Jewish people in the Old Testament, was their murmuring. And God said, I can't stand hearing you anymore. I can't stand hearing your bickering and your murmuring. What you don't have. We don't have water. We don't have meat. What did God have to do? Water had to come out of a rock. God threw pancakes down from heaven every morning. They didn't even have to cook them, praise God. And then they were crying about meat. And God started sending quail from heaven and said, hey, you want some meat? Here's some meat. They were never satisfied. They were never satisfied. Because they always wanted more. <coughs> they weren't content in the state they were in. Listen, you can go to heaven from a mansion or you can go to heaven from a hut. That's right. That's right. That's right. Come on, my friend. Right. You. you can go to heaven if you own a Cadillac, or you can go to heaven if you own a clunker. That's right. Come on, my friend. You can go to heaven if you buy your clothes at Walmart, or you buy your clothes at one of the big fancy stores. You can go to heaven wearing $500 alligator shoes, or you can go where I go and get my shoes on sale for 59 bucks. Come on. Who are we impressed? Who are we impressed? We have this Barbie image. Everybody got to look like Barbie. We got this Ken image. Everybody got to look like Ken. I don't want to look like Ken. I think Barbie looks anemic. I think Barbie needs a good meal. My mother used to say, she's so skinny, a good meal would kill her. That's right. Mashed potatoes and gravy. Stick to My mother used to say, she could make good soup bones. That's right. <laughs> I remember those sayings. Don't you remember the sayings of your parents? Your grandparents? Praise the Lord. How do we become more like Christ? How can we get our positive confession back? How can we get our profession back with Christ? It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let me ask you a question. Your conversation this week, my conversation, how much of it was positive and based on the promises of God? How much? What did we talk about? What did we say? What was our confession? For a lot of people, negative. Negative. How many times do we tell kids, don't do that? And we don't usually praise them for what they do do right. We all do it. We all do it. God is saying... I have so much invested in you that I sent my son to die for you on a cruel cross of suffering and pain and travail. We owe it to God to give him our best. We owe it to God to give him our best. And when we hold back and we make excuses, who are we fooling and who are we lying to? People act like God doesn't know what's going on. People act like, hey, listen, I'm going to keep this a secret from God because he doesn't know what's going on in my life. He knows everything. If there's one thing I learned as a kid going to another church, a nominal church, in my catechism, where is God? God is everywhere. Where is God? God is everywhere. And we think we can hide from God. We cannot hide from God. And people think, well... We have to renew the mind. And we have to teach our children mind renewal, according to Romans 12.1. I beseech you, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but look at the word now, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? It happens through the word of God. Listen, you know what's going on in this world. I sent some stuff out to you, an email that astounds me. That sometimes I'm ashamed to send it out, but I think you should be informed that I come across. That last one about what they're teaching children in the educational system is abominable. If you ever open it and read it, it'll shake your modesty. And they're teaching this to our children in kindergarten and first grade. It's abominable. God is totally against that. We have to renew the minds of our children so they can recognize the counterfeit. And listen, I want to tell you, children are sponges. Children don't have all these distractions that we have. Because they could be playing on the floor among themselves, and you're talking, and all of a sudden they'll say, what does that word mean, Pa? Oh, they were listening. Got to be careful. We got to instill in them the Bible stories. We have to instill in them victory. We have to instill in them courage. We have to instill in them success. We have to instill in them the dream that God has put in their soul. Don't you remember when you were a kid, people asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Everybody knew what they wanted to be. How did you know that? Because God dropped that into your soul. How does a five or six or seven year old kid know in a classroom? I remember distinctly. What do you want to be when you grow up? Everybody knew. I used to do this in the prison church with the women to instill vision back in their life. And I go one by one, I say, what did you want to be, sissy? Everyone knew, right off the bat. They could be 21 years old, they could be 41 years old, they could be in their 60s. And they all remembered, this is what I said when I was a kid. And then we would talk about vision. We would talk about potential. We would talk about possibility. So I said, what do you want to do when you get out of here? Everybody says, I want to go home. But I said, what's beyond home? Because the home that you're going back to is still dysfunctional. It's still crazy. The drug pushers are still on the corner. But what do you want to do with your life? And trying to instill that possibility back in their life. I'm going to go back to school, Pastor. I'm going to become a beautician. I'm going to go to BOCES. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And what started happening was they started feeling good about who they were and what they can become through Christ. Because we always told them there's no future in the past. The future is in the present and moving forward. And when you start to speak to people and give them hope and vision, praise God, through the word of God, something activates in their soul. It's like the rocket. Ten, nine, eight, five, four, three, two, one. The rocket starts to blast off. And when you start to instill in a person's spirit what they can be through Christ, what they can do through Christ, instead of tolerating where you are and never, never moving forward, that's a shame. That's a waste of human life. That's just waiting to die. I, I remember reading about a, a Church of God a pastor who became housebound. And he wanted to do something with his life. And he said to the Lord, well, what can I do? I'm housebound. I, I, can't, I can't even get out to a church. And the Lord said, start a prayer ministry. And people started calling him. People started writing him notes. People started inquiring, would you pray for me? 
And you know, it developed into an explosive prayer ministry for this pastor, who is now housebound. Because he said, listen, I can still be used by God. It doesn't mean I have to be behind a pulpit. It doesn't mean I have to walk to church. Right now, this is my state in life. And I want to be used by God. How much talent do people have that they never used? Listen, we used to say to our clients at the prison, you know, you see that tombstone there? Do you want your tombstone tombstone to say, herein lies potential? That never became a possibility. Listen, we can do great things for God still. Or we can do little things for God if that's what God wants us to do. But we cannot give up. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can get back up. I can be successful. I can succeed. How does God think about me? He says this in John 3, John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things. Look at this. This is God speaking. This is God speaking to you this morning. He's speaking to each and every one of us this morning. Take it personal. Beloved, I wish above all things. What? That thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. You know how your soul prospers? When you start to read this, something happens on the inside. If you can't read, there's so many programs I have in my office that you can put it into a player and you can hear the word of God. You can get it on your phone. You can hear the word of God on your phone. I have an app on my phone. I can listen to the word of God. There's no excuse. We can't just have that one little verse that we've known all of our lives and that's it. It shows our spiritual ignorance when you open your mouth. God says, listen, I wish above all things, this is what John wrote to the church, that thou mayest prosper, be in health, even as thy soul prosper. God spoke to Joshua. He said, meditate upon this book day and night, and thou shalt have good success. Be strong and courageous. Do you know being strong and courageous are twins that can cause possibilities to happen in your life? But when we're not courageous and we're not strong and we give up, we're done. God can't do much with us. God wants us to be inspired by his word. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. This is God speaking. Saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And that word expected in Hebrew means successful. God wants to make us go out with a flourish. Listen, I used to love boxing. And you could tell in a boxing match when one boxer was going to win. I could tell you how I knew. It was what I used to call a flurry of punches. All of a sudden, that guy's on his tippy toes. And all of a sudden, the flurry of punches comes. And I say, this is it. This is that mystical moment in a boxing ring where the opponent goes down. Listen, there's two mystical moments in your life. The mystical moment of the enemy that wants to stop you in your tracks and the mystical moment of God when God wants to set it in motion. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. 
God wants to set you in motion. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. That's all water under the bridge. Life begins today. What I used to tell my clients, today is the first day of the rest of your life. What are you going to do with it? I can't get back yesterday. I can't get back 20 years ago. God's already forgotten that. Praise God, because I've repented. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. But what God is concerned about now is my present moment to get me to my future, whatever that future is. And that's what God's concerned about right now. He wants to take your present moment, the cumulative things that have happened to you in your life, all the experiences, and wrap it up in one ball. One great heavyweight fight that's left in your life. Whatever that is, for God. People say, well, I can't do that. Well, if you could do that, then you wouldn't need God. That's right. You'd have to depend upon yourself. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Praise God. Listen, I want to close here. We must practice God's thoughts and agree with what the word of God says about us. If you think you're a bad son or daughter, that's what you're going to accept. If you think you're a failure, that's what you're going to accept. But if you allow God to inspire you this morning and you start to agree with God's thoughts, here's what's going to happen. The assassins of hell are going to come against you because they don't want you to go forward. They're going to put negativity in your mind. They're going to put negativity in your mouth. They're going to tell you it's not possible. Listen, I think it's a faith problem. I think there's so much unbelief in the churches that we've lost our faith. And when you lose your faith, you lose your way. Because when you lose your faith, you start to depend upon you and not upon God. When we have faith in God, now we're saying to God, I'm putting all the pressure on you. That's what our pastor used to teach us. He said, put the pressure on God, casting all your cares upon him, not on you. Casting all your cares upon him. Throw him at the cross. Because he cares for you. How many people are trying to solve their own problems this morning? Trying to figure out their own solutions. And all they're doing is entering into stinking thinking. And their best thinking got them where they are. When I start to agree with God's word. And when I start to realize that God does love me. Listen. No matter if no one else loves me. As long as I know that God loves me. That's most important in my life. Because he's my best friend. And he's been there for 45 years. How did that happen? He found me. I wasn't looking for him. He found me. He chose me. And I always felt in my life that God wanted me to do something. From the moment he spoke to me from the sky and said, I want to be your friend. I've always felt like God wanted me to do something for his kingdom. And we've been working, my wife and I, for... Decades. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's like, how can I help people who don't even want to help themselves? And you cry. You you get anguish in your soul. You want to shake people, but you know that's not going to help. You, you, You want to get in people's faces and holler and scream at them, but that's not going to help. Until God draws them. Until they understand that God loves them. Until they understand that the course that you're on is destructive. And when God starts to pull them and draw them back to the cross, 
All of a sudden, something happens on the inside. You start to get inspired. You start to feel like, I can do all things through Christ. I've been down, and I've been low, and I've been on the ground, but praise God, I'm getting back up in the name of Jesus Christ, and that's a courageous man, and that's a courageous woman, and that's a strong man, and that's a strong woman. You have to have courage in order for possibility to take place. You have to have courage in order for possibility to take place. Some of the greatest things that have happened in this world have happened through the lives of people in their older age. Some of the greatest books, some of the greatest experiments, some of the greatest inventions, some of the greatest victories took place through people who may have thought their life was done and over. But somehow they received inspiration through God, through gifts, and they created. Listen, you heard me say this numerous times. Thomas Edison was a great inventor. But look how many times he failed before the light bulb was invented. But look at the creativity and vision of Thomas Edison. His huge warehouse in New Jersey was on fire. He ran home, he got his wife out of bed, and he said to his wife, you gotta come and see this. You'll never see a fire like this again. You gotta come. And she came, and that warehouse was burnt down. And someone asked Thomas Edison, so what are you gonna do, Tom? He said, we're gonna start rebuilding tomorrow. That's right, come on. Come on. Sometimes our house, our dreams, our song gets burned down for a season. (laughs) But we got to come back on the front porch and say, you know what, God? I feel like a song today. You know what, God? I I feel like I'm going to get into a nice spiritual fight with the enemy today. You know what, God? (laughs) The warehouse is gone. But praise God, we're going to rebuild. Let us rebuild. Let us be restored by God. And let us go forward in the name of Jesus Christ to do the good works of God. Let God instill that in you. Don't become negative and say, I can't, when God says you can. God bless you. Thank you for listening.